3: He is Paul DeTino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with respect to the New York Giants. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program, 201-939-4513. You can also use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we are going to continue... Our opponent previews today, as we will be focusing on the Chicago Bears, we've been doing that for a little over a week, and it's a good way to get an idea of who the Giants are going to match up with this season. The Bears, of course, a team that the Giants went up against last season. The Bears got off to a very strong start, 5-1, and one before they fell off, regrouped, and made the playoffs, so we will be breaking down the Chicago Bears in a little bit. Paul, looking forward to today's program. How's everything on your end?
1: Very well, Lance, and yes, looking forward to Jim Miller because you know anybody who listens to Sirius XM NFL Radio has to listen to Mills and And Kerwin, it's not even close. Those two guys, they are the best X's and O's show on that station, and I cannot live without it.
3: There's no doubt about that. Moving the chains, of course, is the program that you're referring to that you can hear Monday through Friday from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM NFL Radio. Jim also obviously had a lengthy career as an NFL quarterback, so we are looking forward to chatting with him to break down the Chicago Bears. Clearly, this is an intriguing matchup. For Bears fans and Giants fans, mainly because of the trade that took place in this year's draft, enabling Chicago to move up and grab Justin Fields. Giants fans, they're not worried about Justin Fields so much. They're interested in how that first round pick is going to turn out (laughs) because the Giants are going to have a pair of first rounders in next year's draft.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Giants fans will be rooting against Chicago every single week of this season, beginning with the first game uh, when the Giants will play them later on. I guess that game is going to be in January uh, with only two games left in the regular season. We'll have an idea of where the Bears are going to land in the draft, but the Giants, of course, would like to get a couple of extra spots by sticking them with another loss.
3: Yes, that will certainly be something to watch because remember, this matchup is coming up in Week 17 as the Giants will be visiting the Bears, as Paul mentioned, in January. So weather likely could be an issue. But to get more into that... And what to expect from the Chicago Bears, we are joined by a very special guest, the man who played quarterback in the National Football League for over a decade. You can hear him on Sirius XM NFL radio through Moving the Chains, weekdays 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern with Pat Kerwin, and he also serves as a Chicago Bears TV analyst, none other than Jim Miller. Jim, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Ditino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Always good to chat with you. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Yeah, everything's great. Lance,
2: Paul, good to be with you guys today.
3: Absolutely. Well, Jim, let's start with by far the biggest storyline for the Chicago Bears this season, and that is how the quarterback position is going to play out. They bring in Andy Dalton. They move up in the draft with the Giants to grab Justin Fields. Dalton, of course, has that established relationship with offensive coordinator Bill Lazor from their Cincinnati days. How would you best assess how you think the quarterback situation will play out from the beginning of the season all the way through?
2: Well, I think having a veteran like Andy Dalton, I just think the the offense will have a lot more accountability. You know, over the last couple of years, the Bears have really only averaged about 16 points a game. And I just think Andy Dalton is better equipped to to read defenses, get the ball out of his hand, and just manage certain situations that really the Bears just couldn't expand. And what I mean by that, they couldn't expand offensively. I think – Mitch Trubisky was somewhat limited in terms of the volume of offense that the Bears wanted to run, and thus they had to move on. In the meantime, I think they're going to bring along uh, Justin Fields. They don't want him to play right away. They've made that very clear that Dalton will be the starter, and it's really a situation where I think if the season were to go south for the Bears, at that point the the, the Bears coaching staff would consider putting Justin Fields in, but until that declares itself – You know, Andy Dalton's going to be the starter.
1: How much rope does head coach Mac Nagy have, Jim, in terms of if things do go south? Does he make a panic move, or does he just try to save his skin and get as many wins as he possibly can?
2: No, I don't think he's going to you know, panic at at all in terms of the moves, and I don't think he's under the gun the way everybody thinks he is. You know, two out of three years he's been there, they've been to the playoffs, so I think the Bears are going to make a you know, a very sound decision if they have to make a decision to move on from that from the head coach. And I think it's really, they need to see the improvement from the quarterback position and the improvement from the team overall is, is what I think.
3: Obviously, the quarterback position is also dependent on the play of the offensive line. There were some changes up front this offseason, Jim. Charles Leno Jr., of course, parting ways. They drafted Tevin Jenkins in the second round. How do they feel about this offensive line in terms of pass protection? Let's start there before we get to the run game and give Andy Dalton an opportune time to really take advantage of what he has around him.
2: Yeah, I think they, you know, I think Charles Leno was serviceable, but he had too many penalties, he had too many false starts and too many holds, uh, holding calls for the Bears to feel comfortable moving forward. They feel very comfortable with Tevin Jenkins. Yes, he is a a rookie, but again, that's why you got a veteran quarterback to manage that situation on his blind on his blind side. But they feel good of where Tevin Jenkins is. Uh, James Daniels will be healthier. Uh, I think Cody Whitehair will be starting at the left guard position. There's no guarantee that uh, James Daniels is going to uh, start again. Uh, Mustafa is going to be the the center. They'll put Fetty who plays better at right guard than tackle. Again, when he was in Seattle. He just had way too many penalties at the right tackle spot. And so now Elijah Wilkinson will be playing the right tackle spot, and they really like Larry Borum, who's another monstrous tackle that they drafted later in the draft. He's probably a year away, so I would think it would be Wilkinson that starts at right tackle, but I think they feel very good that their pieces to the puzzle are have a lot of versatility, and they've got backups who come with experience.
1: Jim, David Montgomery's a terrific all-around back and and obviously comes off a dynamite season. How high is his ceiling, and how much do you think they want to put on his plate additionally to what they did last year?
2: Yeah, minimum, Matt Nagy has already come out and said about 20 carries per game uh, for Montgomery, who is terrific. He really finished the year strong last year. When Bill Lazor was calling the plays towards the end of the season, he really dialed up his number quite a bit. I think even to I think he was second to Derrick Henry when it comes to rushing yards the second half of the season. So, he is a good all-around back. He doesn't have to come off the field, but of course, they're going to supplement Tariq Cohen in there for his receiving ability. So, it will be a rotational backfield, but minimum, I would think David Montgomery's getting 20 carries. That's already been mandated by the head coach.
3: Jim, I'm glad you brought up Tariq Cohen. Obviously, he suffered the torn ACL last season. He was limited to just three games. If you look at his 2019 numbers, his receptions were up, but his receiving yards per catch were down, almost cut in half, and he didn't get nearly as many carries out of the backfield. How much usage do you feel he's going to have this season, given we did see a noticeable jump in the opposite direction from 18 to 19?
2: Yeah, I think he will. Well, when you go back, he didn't run a lot of down-the-field routes. It was really the difference. And quite frankly, Mitch Trubisky on his long ball throws, he throws as a three-quarter arm thrower. And when you do that, the football comes out flat. And so it's tougher to be accurate down the field when you throw a flat football because it, just, it doesn't allow the receiver to adjust on the ball if it has a little bit more loft under it. So I think there were a couple things. That really explained that. And then, of course, uh, the injury, but he should be back to 100%, and we know he can be a big playmaker in space with how the Bears want to utilize him.
1: Let's go to the passing game for a second. Allen Robinson, a big name, a terrific player. A lot of people in New York thought it might be be between him and Galladay as a target for the Giants. They wound up getting Galladay, and Robinson gets the franchise tag in Chicago. But, Jim, I'm curious because there was a lot of griping by him about wanting that long-term deal. Do you see any residue or any after-effects from that that could potentially kind of sidetrack him a bit this season?
2: No, I think Allen Robinson will conduct himself as a pro- professional like he always has. And then the Bears can make a decision at the end of, of this year if they do want to give him a long-term deal or whether, whether they just let him walk. Because you've got to remember, the Bears have drafted receivers pretty much every year. Darnell Mooney was a surprise, certainly, with how he performed but they need to see more from Anthony Miller. Shoot, Ridley can't even get on the field, and that's another uh, t- talent that they want to emerge. So these guys got to pick it up, and if, if they don't pick it up, then I would think the Bears would probably entertain a long-term deal uh, with Allen Robinson. And I think he's going to have 100 receptions just like he does every single year. I think he's that talented of a receiver, and who wouldn't want this guy? He's a terrific leader. He's a terrific example, presence, role model uh, in the locker room. He's done everything right in terms of his NFL career.
3: We're talking with Jim Miller, Bears TV analyst. You can hear him on Sirius XM, NFL radio, former NFL quarterback. You referenced Anthony Miller at Jim. He was a second-round pick in 2018, so he's obviously entering his final year of his rookie contract, and you had referenced they want to see more out of him. So how critical of a year is this? not just for perhaps his future status with the Bears, but for opportunities down the road, considering he's had his fair share of ups and downs, and he was also, of course, thrown out of that wild card playoff game against the Saints this past season.
2: Yeah, I think you really classified it there. It's really immaturity. He's just got to grow up and be a more mature player. The Bears had him on the trading block, so if that doesn't send a message to Anthony Miller that they're ready to move on, sure. I don't know what does, but... But during the draft, he was, he was on the trade block, and some teams had called, but I think they have issues with the immaturity uh, factor as well, especially when he basically defies a coach's, uh, uh, coach's order, uh, essentially, is what he did when he got kicked out of that game. So he needs to grow up, he needs to focus on his game, and, and quite frankly, he's got to get better. He, is, he, hasn't, uh, he hasn't produced as much as what he, uh, what he thinks he can do, so he's got to play a lot better. Let's
1: talk about the defense for a second, Jim. Max Smith, Trevathan. They've got some linebackers over there that I think a lot of teams would just love to have.
2: Yeah. They've got a ton of speed at the linebacker. I I thought Roquan Smith to me he should have been All-Pro. You know, and that's no offense to, to Bobby Wagner up there in Seattle cuz he's a terrific player, but I think when you look at the sack numbers and the versatility and the tackles that Roquan uh really represented last year, to me he deserved to be all pro and you know i think him and devin white uh down there in tampa are now kind of emerging as the top guys danny trevathan again he's a pro's pro he's a tough guy he just is who he is and i think they've got some guys behind him, whether it's josh woods or joel uh Eway Bounier, that really can step in and fill in if they need to you know spell those guys for a game or two if they're they're injured their front seven is very stout with getting eddie goldman back Then you got Akeem Hicks, so they've got a stout front seven. Obviously, Khalil Mack and Quinn on the outside. And I thought it was a really good signing getting Jeremiah Atuachu because Barkebius Mingo played really well for the Bears when he had to play last year. And I think now getting another veteran with Jeremiah, that can spell uh, whether it's Khalil Mack or uh, Robert Quinn on the outside. But they are very stout up the middle when you look at the Bears on their D-line.
3: Jim, you look at Robert Quinn's season last year. The previous year, he had a really good year with Dallas, 11 and a half sacks. So they go out, they bring him into Chicago to compliment Khalil Mack, as you mentioned. People look at box scores, you know, they don't necessarily break down the film, as you can attest to, and they only see two sacks. So from a big-picture perspective, when you look back at Robert Quinn's season, how much do the numbers actually do justice to his season? Or how much more disruptive was he, but it doesn't necessarily show up in the box score?
2: Yeah, I think he started slow being in a new system. And much like uh, Leonard Floyd, when they had Leonard Floyd previously, they dropped, uh, they dropped what Robert Quinn in coverage a lot more. But he started to come on towards the end of the year. I think once the system started to sink in and how he was going to be utilized, I thought he was more impactful later in the year. But he needs to start faster uh, this year for, to really make an impact and really hit the ground running for this defense to be successful.
1: Eddie Jackson, I think, is going to be one of the keys on this team. I know some of the other names seem to get a little more attention in the headlines. But, Jim, J- Jackson just could be such an important part of this squad. I'd like, like you to address his potential this year.
2: Yeah, I think uh, he had a down year last year. I thought Deshaun Sean Gibson was a good re-signing. I think he, uh, he really flashed all year long and played with a lot of passion and really represented himself as a chicago bear but i think eddie will even tell you it was a down year for him he's capable of more and he's a much better player than what he displayed mm-hmm. uh... last year probably the biggest question is you know with the loss of kyle fuller does desmond trufant still have a lot left in the tank because uh... to me johnson Jalen johnson really played well as a rookie and i expect better year from him but it's really about desmond trufant and can he still play and and last an entire season opposite Jalen Johnson I think is a bigger question
3: yeah I'm with you Jim you look at Trufant you're talking about a player that had nine games and six games in terms of appearances over the last two seasons so if that's the case let's go down the hypothetical road in the event that he doesn't prove durable how do they feel about the depth chart at cornerback for maybe somebody to emerge that we're not talking about or perhaps grab another veteran at some point in training camp
2: I I think they like one. they drafted another corner, and I think they feel good about Duke Shelley to to fill that nickel role. He can play outside as well. He got a lot of uh, reps uh, last year when Buster Screen went down to injury. And they also got Kendall Vildor, who got a lot of playing time last year due to injuries in the secondary. So those guys, the depth, they played enough where if they need to fill in and play and play at a high level, they should know what to expect because they've got a good front seven that will protect them where they just don't got to cover all day long.
1: You know, it's never easy with the weather out there in Chicago, Jim. We're well aware of that. But I think Santos and O'Donnell, that's a really solid kicking game they've got.
2: Yeah, they really do. They feel very good about their kicking game. And their special teams have always been uh, pretty solid when you look at the Chicago Bears. So I think the third phase will represent itself. Obviously, the uh, Eddie Pineros and how they were rotating through kickers has finally gone away because uh, Santos really has proven himself to be a pretty solid and competent guy for Chicago Bears fans.
3: Jim, I was asking about the defensive scheme because of the coordinator change, how they promoted from within with Sean Desai, Chuck Pagano retired. How much you think it's back to what Fangio did, a continuation of Pagano? I'm sort of fascinated in terms of the identity of what this Bears defense is going to be.
2: Yeah, I think they've kept continuity from hiring from within. This is twice this has been elevated from within. When Vic Fangio got the job out in Denver, obviously they just elevated Chuck Pagano, but Chuck had called plays before. We all know that, and I think Sean Desai is a real bright guy. But like any play caller, you're going to have your own tendencies. You know, he may, at times, we're going to find out if he's going to have maybe more of a heavy blitz influence to provide more, more pressure. I think that really has to... To really show itself, the players seem to respond to him uh, very well. They seem to like him quite a bit. Um, so I don't expect too much to change defensively. I just think it's always good to to notice in crucial situations the tendency of a coach and how he tends to lean on his play calling, whether he gets more aggressive or whether he's more conservative. And I think that's something uh, every Bears fan is is really waiting to see and find out.
1: Jim I think final one for me we know last year the Bears get off to a really good start and then they kind of struggled in the middle of the season and then were able to squeeze into the playoffs as you look at this year's schedule it seems to me that there's there's a good chance they could get off to another good start this year because there are some decent matchups that I think they might be able to, to deal with
2: yeah I, I think the Bears are stronger than what people think right away everybody's going to uh, tip their cap to Green Bay. That's if Aaron Rodgers shows up. And, it's, and the same for Minnesota. I think they're a very strong roster as well. So in division, you know, you got, you've got got a guy laying the foundation over there in Detroit. So we'll have to see where that goes. I would think Detroit's about a, a year away, but will be competitive under Dan Campbell. So the Bears are poised to compete in the division. It's just, you know, playing opening day games against, say, the L.A. Rams that are going to be difficult opponents. But the Bears, they beat Tampa last year, and they feel that they're a better team. So I think the Bears will be in every game to compete. It's just they need more offensive accountability. But I'm with you. I think they could surprise this year.
3: Jim, before we let you go, clearly from the Giants' perspective, everybody's focusing on the trade, and they're going to be paying close attention to, of course, whether the Bears are good or not, depending on how that first-round pick plays out. But I'm curious, the feel in Chicago, because as you know, it's been up and down in terms of trying to find somebody to solidify that quarterback position. What's the feel and excitement about Justin Fields and perhaps the stability he may be able to provide over the course of the long term there?
2: Yeah, I think they're very excited. You know, it's it's one of those situations the Bears have to address it. You know, they tried to address it by drafting Mitch Trubisky. They've drafted other quarterbacks in the past. But, you know, say a team much like Denver, I, I give uh, general manager Ryan Pace a lot of credit because you got to be like Mighty Casey. you got to be able to keep on swinging at the plate <laughs> until you connect and get it right. You know, and I think this is their opportunity to try and get this right but they just want to bring this young quarterback along the right way and not force him on the field you know i'm going Week to cheat seven, here jim eight. go ahead i'm Paul. going to
1: ask one yeah. more question jim if i could just hold you for another second here dave gittleman had told us that it was within, I guess it was 36 to 48 hours or so that, you know, he had heard that Chicago might potentially want to move up. We all knew that they were going to be looking for a quarterback, and then the whole thing came together, uh, you know, shortly before the the Giants went to pick. They made that trade and wound up with Kadarius Tony later on as Fields landed with Chicago. How surprising were you that the Giants and the Bears wound up finding that match so that Chicago could move up to that spot?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm not surprised at all. I think the Bears wanted an athletic quarterback, right? Matt Nagy comes from Kansas City, that uh, and even Philadelphia previously, where Donovan McNabb was there, and then they they trade for the talented Alex Smith, who was a pretty good athlete. Then, of course, draft uh, Mahomes. So I think they were going to always lean towards the athletic guy because technically they could have traded up and got Mac Jones, right? So mm-hmm. I think it says it all. Yep that they targeted uh, Justin Fields. So that's the type of guy they wanted. Trey Lance was already off the board, so I think the Bears did all their homework, and they felt very comfortable about selecting Justin Fields.
3: So it's a Week 17 matchup Sunday, January 2nd. Giants visit the Bears in Chi-Town, and who knows who will be at center under quarterback positioning at that game between the Giants and the Bears. He is Jim Miller, former NFL quarterback. You can hear him on Sirius XM, NFL Radio, also Chicago Bears TV analyst. Jim, always good talking with you. Greatly appreciate the time, and look forward to you again shortly down the road. Thanks again. Stay well, Jim. Thanks.
2: Okay. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.
3: You got it. Jim Miller with us here. On Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live, assessing the situation in Chicago with respect to their outlook as well as their quarterback situation, which is a huge storyline. A reminder, you can give us a ring at our normal number, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter as well. Limited Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or you can visit Giants.com tickets for more information. Also... Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world class concerts in two thousand twenty-one as a Giants Suite partner. Limited full season locations are available, or you could place a deposit for individual games. Call eight 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 NYG nineteen twenty-five, or you could visit Giants.com/slash suites for more information. So as we've been doing after each and one of these interviews to break down the Giants opponent, we give you our take on what to expect from the opponent. So let's go around here and look at the Chicago bears and clearly the quarterback situation. We know that's been well-documented, but when you look at what's around, whoever it may be, whether it's Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, they have a proven wide receiver in Allen Robinson. I think Darnell Mooney and Anthony Miller, this is show me time specifically more so for Miller than Mooney. If you could get a consistent number two receiver for this team, I think that makes them that much more dangerous, but To me, I think more of the X factor is the run game. Montgomery looked really good, as Jim mentioned, late last season. If Tariq Cohen's fully healthy, let's not forget Damian Williams they brought in from the Chiefs who opted out. They drafted Khalil Herbert in the sixth round. I really like the depth and the options they have out of the backfield. There's no reason why this has to be an offense where it's all on Dalton's shoulders, where he's got to throw the ball. They could pound the football in Chicago this season.
1: I agree with you, Lance. You know, between Cohen and Montgomery, both of those guys can catch the ball too. So they can do some funky things by by having even both of those guys on the field at the same time if they wanted to. And I think we need to apologize to our listeners because we forgot one key component here, and that is we both know that any time you've got uh, some questions about what the quarterback's going to do or if there's a change at quarterback, the number one security blanket's going to be the tight end. And Jimmy Graham has been around this game for a long time. He has had some awesome years. He's had some okay years. And I wonder how important Jimmy Graham will be when Jim was talking about, you know, some of these receivers need to step up or or maybe emerge and, and take some of the load. Would it be? Would it surprise you if all of a sudden Jimmy Graham wound up having another one of those, you know, 70 catch seasons and 10 touchdowns, and all of a sudden people are like, well, wait a minute, I thought this guy got old. Jimmy Graham might be a lot more important to this Bears offense than people think this year.
3: Well, I also would add Cole Komet, too, who they drafted sure. last year. I mean, they really have two tight ends that they can rely on, and Komet played all 16 games Jimmy Graham played all 16 games, and he was a big red zone target, eight touchdowns Mm -hmm. for Jimmy Graham. Komet, quieter, but I think you started to see some flashes. And remember, Andy Dalton's a polished veteran. He didn't necessarily have a tremendous presence at the tight end position, I would argue, through his days in Cincinnati. They had a few guys that they turned to. They had some injuries at that position. But, yeah, I would agree with you. If somebody outside of Allen Robinson doesn't emerge this season as the number two guy, it would not surprise me if Jimmy Graham or Cole Komet is up there as maybe the number two option. Because look at the numbers last year, Paul. Darnell Mooney had 61 catches. Keep in mind, Allen Robinson was number one at 102, So, meaning Robinson, he had 40 more catches than Darnell Mooney. But then Anthony Miller was at 49. Jimmy Graham was at 50. You're going to tell me a tight end can't get 10 more catches to be number Mm -hmm. two on this team this year? I don't think that's crazy at all.
1: No, not at all. You know, I think Jim Jim really put it uh, as clearly as day – Allen Robinson's just really good. <laughs> he has been for several years, and I understand why they franchised him. I guess he's getting about $18 million, uh, on the tag this year in Chicago, and I don't blame them for, for doing it because he's just that good. And the thing about it is, too, Lance, he's incredibly reliable. Yeah, He just makes plays time after time after time. You never are left shaking your heads saying, oh, how did they screw that one up? no. If the ball's coming to Allen Robinson, he's going to make sure that he finishes the play. And he's always going to be out there. He's dependable and durable. I, terrific, terrific player. And for his sake, you know, I hope he has another great year and things work out uh, in Chicago for him. Because I do know he did have some of the griping. And I hate to see that with some players. When the contract griping tends to get in the way sometimes. Jim didn't think that it would. And I hope it doesn't because NFL fans enjoy watching Robinson play ball.
3: Some people refer to him as a possession wide receiver. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. The bottom line is Allen Robinson moves the chains and you need a guy like that who is reliable to your point who you know is going to be in the right spot. He's going to run good routes, and he's also capable of going up and making plays for his quarterback. So he meets all the criteria. Yeah, he may not be that flashy guy that's going to get a short catch and then run for 50 yards into the end zone. Okay, well, they got the speedster in Darnell Mooney. He could provide the flash. Allen Robinson could provide the consistency. So I have absolutely no problem with the Bears' decision to place the tag on him. I think if you're Andy Dalton or if Fields does come in sooner rather than later – you're going to have to make sure that you have a reliable option for whoever is under center. And Robinson, to me, fits that bill. So you could do far worse than Allen Robinson in the NFL. And if you have a guy that you know once again— He could get eight catches a game, and he could give you close to the century mark and also be a threat to get into the end zone. Why would you not want to invest in him? And I get it. Mm -hmm. He's up there. He's had a number of years in the NFL. I'm not saying he's an old man, but, you know, he's certainly not somebody that's on a rookie contract. So you have to probably monitor that, and you wonder, well, if we were to give him a long-term contract, how many years do we want to invest in him? The clock is always ticking. I understand that, and maybe that was part of the reason why they didn't jump to give him a long-term extension. But it makes sense to make sure that until you know what you have with the rest of your receiving depth chart, that you feel good that you have a legitimate number one guy that is going to be penciled in every single week and you know he's going to be a reliable option. So I think it was a very smart move by the Chicago Bears.
1: Well, he's only
3: going on, what, 28 years old, Lance? So, yeah, he's he, not an old man. I think, what, 2014, I want to see, was his first year in so the NFL? He, I'm going to look yeah, it up to confirm. Yeah, so
1: he's not, he's not exactly past his prime Yeah, yet.
3: 2014 <laughs> with the Jaguars. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, right,
1: at the end of this season, I don't know how many years and what kind of numbers he's going to want. Well, we know his numbers. He's going to probably want something about in the neighborhood of $20 million bucks a year. But I think in terms of the duration of the deal... I see no reason why he cannot continue with this level of play for another three or four years. I don't think the length of the deal is going to be an issue. And quite frankly, the Bears must already know in their heads that, you know, to get a guy of this ilk to re-sign, you know what the ballpark price is going to be. I mean, we're not, we're not blowing any secrets here when we tell you he's probably going to want about
3: $20 million a year. It's all based on the market and where the last receiver got paid. Yeah, I'm sure they understand that. I'm sure Alan Robinson's agent understands that. I sure. guarantee you that's a big part of his bargaining chip. Yeah, this is year eight that he's entering, to be exact, Paul. So you think about a wide receiver. Once he gets to that decade number, you know, then maybe you start worrying. But, yeah, if the Bears went and they gave Alan Robinson a three-year deal, for example, if, of course, he's willing to take that, I would have no concern. But if he wants to go a little bit longer than that, maybe that's why the Bears are saying to themselves, hey— you know, let's give him the franchise tag. And also from Alan Robinson's perspective, remember, sometimes an agent that a player feels it makes more sense to play on the franchise tag. Yes, you take the risk of security, of course. There's always the injury. Uh-huh. But you feel as if you're maximizing the amount of money you're going to make compared to if you took a long-term deal, maybe your average annual salary goes down. For example, I don't want to get off topic, but Brandon Sheriff is now going to play under the tag for the second straight year, the Washington Pro Bowl guard. So a lot of people, at least myself included, Why wouldn't Washington want to lock this guy up? I mean, he's still playing at a high level. I get it. There's some injury concern. But if you look at it from Sheriff's perspective, Paul, they don't separate offensive linemen under the tag. There is no tackle tag, guard tag, center tag. Which is a terrible mistake,
1: by the way. That's a terrible mistake. Well, we can sit
3: here and debate that. And listen, I'm sure guards and centers have an issue. And tackles certainly have an issue and their agents do, but that's what it is. The landscape right now is there's one offensive lineman tag. Everybody's under one umbrella. So the reason I'm bringing that up is Brandon Sheriff, if there's no separation between the different positions, then he's maximizing his value compared to if he took a long-term deal for a guard so you can understand why sheriff has no itch to take a long-term contract and there's a number of other guys who are maybe in that tweener category on the defensive side of the ball where maybe the incentive to sign a long-term deal is not there because of how the tag treats players so sometimes it's extremely beneficial my point is for a player to play under the tag compared to maybe somebody else who's at a position where you know you're going to get paid because of how that tag is treated
1: Well, I think a lot of that also is determined by the individual player, lands. For example, Robinson feels like, you know what, he's had a bunch of healthy seasons now since he left Jacksonville. And he's also saying to himself, okay, 27 going on 28 years old. You know, if I play under the one-year tag and I cash in big, there's still going to be another big contract waiting for me. Whether or not it's in Chicago or somewhere else, great. Now, if that player is at an advanced age, maybe on that back end of his prime, or maybe even leaving his prime, or for that matter, has had maybe some recent injury history over the last two or three years, I'm sure he feels differently because he might be saying to himself, look, i got to get like a three-year contract because I know if I just take a one-year deal, uh, who knows, by the end of this season, it may be slim pickings when I try to shop myself on
3: the open market. There's always that risk. There's always that concern. That's why there's pros and cons. You can look at it equally both ways of playing on the tag or not playing on the tag. I think there's benefits from both sides of things, and that's why players and agents have some interesting conversations as well as from the team perspective. Sure, Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito, with you here. On Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, thanks to Jim Miller for joining us earlier today, breaking down the Chicago Bears, the Week 17 opponent for the Giants. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. A reminder, we're back to our old number. You could also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. Now, we were focusing on the Chicago offensive side of the ball. I want to switch gears to the defensive side of the ball. And This Bears defense, Paul, has always been respectable mm-hmm. over the last few years, no matter who the coordinator has been, They brought over Robert Quinn last offseason, which was one of their splashes because he had such a good year with Dallas, and he only had two sacks, so as Jim mentioned, you want to see those numbers go up, and they lost Kyle Fuller, who now reunites with Vic Fangio in Denver, but... This Chicago defense is always going to be a big part of the identity of this franchise. They know pretty much what they have out of this unit. They're a fundamentally sound group for the most part. I think the Giants saw that in the Week 2 matchup last year. It was a low-scoring, grinded-out type of affair. So you always know, no matter the time of the year you're playing Chicago, no matter the location, this is a tough-minded unit. And sometimes points come at a premium when you go up against a team like the Chicago Bears.
1: Well, I think ranking wise, when you look at the yardage, I guess they were 11th and, you know, that's right in the same ballpark as the Giants were defensively. So we know what kind of brand of ball you're going to get from that side of the the line of scrimmage in Chicago. I will say this and look, I caught a lot of flack going into last year's Giants Bears game for, you know, kind of downplaying Khalil Mack. He had some big time flashes last year. There were some weeks where he looked like the Raiders' Khalil Mack again. But for the most part, if you look at his productivity over the course of the season, and this is a guy who was a dominant NFL Defensive Player of the Year kind of guy when he was with the Raiders, he's not putting up those numbers in Chicago. And I don't want to harp on him because, again, he had several flashes last year where the Raiders' Khalil Mack did emerge. But I personally believe for their defense to take a, another step and be a fide top-ten defense, Mack of the Raiders has to show up more frequently, kind of like what he did last year as opposed to prior when the Mack of the Bears
3: is a little bit more pedestrian. Well he had nine sacks last season at sixteen games, and he stayed healthy. He had fifteen tackles for a loss, so the disruptive force was there. You know, maybe he's not in that territory where you're gonna get fifteen sacks out of him every season, and that's a lot to ask for any Top defensive lineman slash linebacker. Akeem Hicks, I think, is a guy that is a little bit underrated. You know, he can help make up for maybe when your edge rushers don't do the trick because from the interior he could give you pressure. And then really on top of Mac, it's also on Robert Quinn to maybe give you a little bit more production in the box score and get back to the level of what he did in Dallas the previous year. I think if both of those guys could give you something, that's when Chicago's that much more dangerous.
1: Well, the problem here, you talk about Robert Quinn, and I wonder if he's just too long in the tooth. I got to think that maybe he just let that last gallon of gas out of his tank when he was in Dallas and didn't take advantage of that by signing the deal with the Bears – and now there's a little bit of buyer's remorse maybe in Chicago because Quinn Quinn is not providing that type of production anymore, and I don't necessarily know if he's got it in him. And, and by the way, when you look at Mac, I had him down for 11 tackles for a loss last year. But more importantly, yeah, nine sacks is solid. Absolutely, there's no question. That's a good number. But look at the quarterback hits, Lance. When he was in Oakland, 24, 26, 22 last year only 13 okay remember it's not just the sacks it's the pressures sure. and and the quarterback hits mac is not the raiders mac so between quinn getting old and mac only flashing as as the kind of guy that he once was i agree with you those two guys really need to emerge again if the bears are going to take it up a notch if they don't then the Bears' defense has pretty much seen its best days. Now, at the same time, I've always thought a lot about Roquan Smith. Uh, I mean, since he came out of school, this guy was going to be a terrific player. We all knew that. And I still think that there's a higher ceiling for him to come. Like Jim said, could have been a Pro Bowl guy last year. and, And I see no
3: reason why you can't continue to look at him as an ascending player. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito, with you here. Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, continuing our opponent preview series. Today's focus, of course, on the Chicago Bears, the Week 17 matchup with the Giants. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Let's open up the phone lines. And we check in with Jeff, who is in Tampa, joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jeff?
0: Uh, good, how are you guys doing today? Hi. You're doing
3: all right. What's on your mind?
0: okay yeah I am a chef at Marriott and I love the Giants I've been'm from New Jersey I think I think this year is going to be their great year this year I really love coaching staff and the players I can't wait to see them play the buccaneers on November 22nd.
3: Well, that is certainly going to be a big test, considering that's the defending Super Bowl champions. There's no (laughs) doubt about that. we got a long way to go before we get to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers matchup. But, yeah, the Giants made several changes. They brought in a lot of talent to surround Daniel Jones, and now it's show-me time. I think a lot of people would share that sentiment. It's show-me time to see whether or not this group could take the next step based on what we saw last season. You know what,
1: Lance? I I was kind of hoping that the caller would be talking about opening day against the Denver Broncos, but he just decided to go to the opener after the bye week and kind of (laughs) push things forward a little faster than I I thought he would. Well, it's understandable
3: (laughs) as a Tampa native or resident, I should say, he's got tickets to that game, so he's circling week 11. We're a little bit more concerned about week 1, 2, 3 before we jump the gun to week 11, but... I understand when you are invested in a specific game, your attention goes to that game. But something tells me by the time we get to Week 11, we're going to have a lot more to talk about than based on pure speculation with respect to this team. I would hope so, for both for both teams' sake. I mean, obviously the Giants would love
1: to be in the in the division race at that point, and I do believe that they will be. And I even think it's good for, for Tampa to be in the race, too. Uh, look, as much as some people, and I understand there are a lot of Tom Brady haters out there, and and I'm not I'm not gonna tell those people to like or dislike the quarterback. But I do think it's good for the NFL when when Brady is in the headlines, is in the spotlight, is doing what he's doing. Whether or not you like him, you have to respect everything that he's done. And when he leaves, that's gonna be a, a chunk of the NFL that's missing. Because I know there's a new wave of quarterbacks in the game today, Lance, but but there are some guys, the legends, the Mount Rushmore kind of guys who, you know, play in this game year after year after year after year. And when they leave, there's, there's a little bit of a void there. There just is. And so I'll, I'll miss Tom Brady when he finally retires. I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit that. I, I never can tell you that I've actually rooted for him on any given Sunday. But as an NFL guy, I will miss watching that guy's execution. Because he knows how to get it done.
3: Well, I have a great respect for his game. I specifically have a great respect for his toughness. And I'm sure you saw this week we learned that he played all of last season with a Mm -hmm. torn MCL, which is absolutely ridiculous. I know he's got a track record of playing through injuries, but my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that shuts down most players' seasons. And Tom goes about his business like it's nothing. So if you don't respect that, then I don't know what to tell you. And I think you bring up an interesting point, Paul. There is a generation of quarterbacks that are little by little calling it quits. I mean, Drew Brees is not going to be playing this year. Tom is heading towards the end of the road. You know, maybe we get two to three more seasons out of Tom. I know he's thrown around 45. He'll be 44 next month. Eli retired. Ben Roethlisberger. We're probably only going to get a few more seasons out of him. Philip Rivers. Rivers just retired. Sure, Right? I mean, there's a laundry list of guys that we're not just talking about five years. We're talking about... Over a decade, 15 years where you took for granted, you tune in every Sunday or whatever day of the week it is, and you see these guys go to work. And like anything else, football's generational. There's going to be a new group of quarterbacks that are going to come, and that's fine, and that's exciting for the league, but I do think it's a bit of an end of an error for a lot of these guys, and when they're not here anymore, you tend to get so caught up in not appreciating them when they did play that you take things for granted that they're just going to be there every single season. And then all of a sudden in blink of an eye, they're just not there anymore. So no, don't take for granted what Tom Brady was able to put forth on a weekly basis. And I don't want to talk about him in the past tense because he's still <laughs> going to have an opportunity to do that, but I'm talking about more his career overall if you don't respect his toughness, then once again, I, I think you're just being a plain hater.
1: Well, you know what, Lance? Before we get to our next phone call, I think that that generation that we just talked about of star quarterbacks, there's probably only two guys who who have another two or three years left in them. I think, and that would be Aaron Rodgers. Again, we don't know how his Hollywood dreams are going to pan out, and and Matt Ryan. And I'm not even sure if Matt Ryan's going to be in Atlanta after this season, but I suspect that he's still got a few more bullets in in his gun. But but that generation, that particular decade or so of star passers, uh, we're we're basically kind of closing the door on those guys.
3: Yeah, those are two other good names. I think Aaron may have a little bit more than that in the tank, though. Paul, I don't know. Depends on what he wants to do. Of course, it's probably more of a mental question with him than a physical question, I guess, I agree. getting at. I would agree. It's more about his frame of mind and where he stands and whether or not he wants to continue, of course, playing for the Green Bay Packers. Let's head back to the phone lines. Mike is in Brooklyn, and he joins us on Big New Kickoff Live. What's happening, Mike?
0: Hey, Lance, Paul. How are you guys doing? Hi, good to talk to you. How about yourself? Good, good. Um, You know, it's interesting. I I was... uh, so we're going over the Bears today. I have a story, and Paul, I think you might appreciate this. Um, in 1980, I was a Navy recruit in uh, Waukegan, Illinois, which is about 14 miles away from Lake Forest, where the Bears have their uh, have their off season um, camp. And this was November. Lake Michigan is right there, obviously ice cold. And the Bears, um, their facility, I guess, wasn't. Was, they were having problems with their facility in Lake Forest. And they had to use a drill hole at the recruit training command that I was at um, on, on a certain day leading up to uh, a game day. And um, we walk into and my company, 80, 80 young guys, 18 years old and so on. Uh, we walk into um, Drill Hall and we see the Chicago Bears lining, you know, doing basically what today was called a walk through, I guess. Sure. And yeah, and I, I was a, I'm always been a Giants fan, but I always had a, a space in my heart for the Bears. I don't know Walter Payton, I guess, did that to me, and I see number thirty-four, and I'm saying, "What's going on here?" And then I hear. Oh my, uh, my company commander says the the Bears are having a, you know, practice. And I was like, oh, my God. And uh, so Walter Payton was like in his fourth or fifth year. Uh, I met him. I met Dan Hampton and uh, uh, the you know, famous quarterback, Bob Avellini. And, uh, and Coach Neil Armstrong, who had been coached the team for like two years, Or something like that, and of course, being a NFL fan, and at that time, having a little special place in my in my heart for the Bears, I'm looking for something to get autographed with. I'm I'm looking. (laughs) I'm in uniform. First thing I do is I take off my, you know, the the white, uh, what they call a Dixie cup, uh, my hat, and I'm going over,
2: and I'm like.
0: I'm looking around for my company commander, who's who's talking to the coach. You know, so I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm a recruit, and <laughs> I go. <over> <laughs> I go over to Walter Payton, and I, you know, Mister Payton, I'm a huge fan. Uh, he was the nicest man. Oh God, and he was just. He he shook my hand. Thanks, thank me for uh, devoting my life to the military at such a young age. And I took my hat, and he said. I said, I just happen to have a pen on, on me in my pea coat, and he signed my hat. And then he called over Dan Hampton, and I didn't know Hampton at the time. He was—I think it was—you know—one of his first years in the NFL. He also was a really, really nice guy. He signed my hat, and then Bob Avellini comes over. And I knew who he was. I knew he wasn't very good, but I knew he was a quarterback. And he came over and and signed my hat, too. I still have it to this day. I'm looking at it right now. And I was just, you know, so taken back by it because obviously what became of Walter Payton, Dan Hampton, one of the, you know, best defensive tackles in the league during his career. And, um, you know, it was just uh, a moment I'll never forget. And I just wanted to to Share that, uh, especially with the you know the Bears being the team that you guys are are uh, that we're going over today.
1: Well, thank um, you for your service, Mike. And I would also add one yeah. other thing. I, I love those kinds of stories because th- those are kind of stories of yesteryear that we don't really get a whole lot of these days because the personal contact with players just doesn't seem to be there as much. And Lance, you know, I, I, I've often said that. You know, growing up in the era that I did, I was very fortunate because, you know, one of my great thrills, I remember my grandfather took me down to uh, Giants Stadium and the Giants were practicing out on the grass field out in the parking lot and and I got to watch them uh, from the fence and, you know, those were just great things. I got of autographs of a bunch of the players. Larry Zonka autographed my Giants calendar. Uh, this this goes back quite a ways back into the 70s now. So those kinds of stories touch my heart because I understand how important that connection is between the fans, the players, the coaches. It's it's a big deal. And, and I do worry sometimes that we've kind of lost a lot of that in, in recent years. And I, I just, you know i uh, i am very grateful let me just put it that way
0: well yeah i i feel the same way and I'm, that's one one of the reasons why i think uh, the move with uh bringing Eli back in the capacity that he is in now with the giants might uh give us a better um bridge um uh maybe a more helpful bridge to a fan meeting a player and mm-hmm. getting more involved that way um good point um I was watching a couple of, uh, of games from last year that were on NFL Channel that I taped. One was the Seahawks game, and the other one was the, uh, was the uh, Cowboy game. And I was noticing, and I was thinking about this, because a lot has been said about our uh, depth this year. We have such a, a nice depth uh, situation in a secondary not only a secondary, but a lot, you know, most of our, our, uh, positions, but a, a player like Julian Love stood out to me. Uh, again, another Chicago, I don't know if Chicago or Illinois native, um, I believe. And, uh, I remember his interception against the Bears, I think it was his first NFL interception, maybe his yeah. only one, but, um, he, he came out in those games as, uh, you know, a nice what what a what a nice luxury it is to have a player who is intelligent. The man is so well spoken. When you see him in his interviews, he doesn't just give you know the standard cliche answers. He, he you know he thinks about what he's about to say. He he, he expresses himself so well, so well. Very intelligent and a nice ambassador uh, for the Giants to have um, a young uh, you know obviously a young player who. Really doubled his stats last year. His tackle stats last year um, showed a lot of improvement. And one thing I noticed, he is probably, if not the best, one of the best swarm tacklers secondary. Um, when he when he gets a player, he wraps them up. It's not like you know where they throw a shoulder at somebody uh, or you know. The, these phantom tackles that they try, uh, that players try nowadays. Yeah. He he wraps he people up.
1: Well, Mike, look, I, I look, I appreciate the compliments for Julian Love, but I want to make something very clear. Joe Judge was very particular when he got to this organization about the kind of players that he wanted, the style of players, the fundamentally sound players, the guys who are willing to be taught if they don't know things and the guys who will be disciplined enough to make sure that they can be counted on. And Lance, to me, you know, that all goes back to the head coach putting his stamp on this organization because he wants to build something for the long term. And, you know, it's not about a quick fix or about a particular name or about a guy who makes flashy plays and big plays. This is about a coach who wants guys who are going to consistently
3: do what they're supposed to do to make the mission possible. Well, also, Julian Love has versatility, and I think that's what makes him appealing, the ability to play multiple positions. Also, keep in mind, the reason why his numbers made a jump was the fact that he didn't get much time on the defensive side of the ball his rookie year. Remember, he didn't play on the defensive side until very late in the season. So the fact that he was utilized a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball in 2020, that's... Basically why he obviously his numbers went up. So I think you can't dismiss that from the conversation. But as far as love, listen, love fits the profile of what Patrick Graham and Joe Judge want on the defensive side of the ball. And that is they want players that are interchangeable. I think that was a big theme this offseason based on who they brought in via the draft and free agency and also going back to last year. Players that they're not just defined by one thing, meaning he can only play on the outside. He's only a slot guy. He's only a deep safety. So, love, they're trying to tap into the different skills that he showcased back at college at Notre Dame and then what he could perhaps bring to this defense. So I don't think it's stunning or surprising why they still think that he has a role, despite all the other players that they brought in, and it's good for depth purposes, because we don't know how things are going to play out over the course of 17 games. We don't know who's going to be available, and there may be a situation where Julian Love starts. There may be a situation where Julian Love is thrown into a position he didn't play much previously, and part of that is because of the faith they have in him. So yeah, I do think he fits under that umbrella of versatility, and I don't think that is a coincidence at all, based on how they've constructed the secondary.
1: You know, the other point to be made here, Lance, and we've talked about the Giants' enhanced depth numerous times over the last few months, but see, what what's really critical here is that it's young depth. It's not just a bunch of of veterans who are hanging on and, and trying to be mentors. No. You got guys like Aaron Robinson, who was just drafted. You got Xavier McKinney. You got Julian Love. You got Darnay Holmes. All these young guys in the secondary who, let's face it, they're teammates, but they're still competing because they all want to get their snaps. Now, Again, they're not going to go, you know, me first, I first. They are team players. I want to stress that. But there is certainly going to be a competitive juices that's flowing through these guys because they all know that if they don't get their act together and they don't play up to speed, Well, the guy next to them is probably going to take their snaps because Joe Judge is not going to hesitate to pull a guy out of the lineup if he thinks he's got another young veteran just sitting there waiting to excel. So the competition that gets these guys' juices flowing is going to push each other as they get better and as they learn and as they mature. It's a great situation because I've I've been around enough of Teams, Lance, where either the young player or the old veteran was in the starting lineup and because they knew what the score was and they knew that the guy behind them on the depth chart was not a significant piece of competition, that kind of leads to a little bit of apathy and that does not help your football team.
3: When we say competition is good, it really is. The other component based on what you said about the youth is the ability to continue to promote continuity. Because if you draft guys and they're not that far apart, you can grow them together. So, for example, Julian Love, 2019, McKinney, 2020, and Darnay Holmes the same year, and Aaron Robinson, 2021. That's four guys I just named that were drafted over the span of three years. And you know that as long as you're a second-round pick, which most of these guys are and further back, you're going to get four years. So, you know, that's a number of years that you can build – around these guys. And yes, there are some veterans, and you always need to have the complimentary veterans who may not be on lengthy contracts, but the fact that you have four players that you can feel good about, hey, this is our nucleus, and they'll be able to be with one another over the course of three to four years and then maybe we give them a second contract i think that bodes very well for the sake of the defense as opposed to you see some defenses where they'll sign guys on one-year contracts and they'll come and go and then all of a sudden the following year yeah maybe you got one or two guys that have been the staples of your secondary but then all of a sudden they're playing next to different corners or they have a new safety or there's a new slot guy and that's very difficult that could become stressful for the sake of the scheme for the sake of the individual players. So I think that's promising, the fact that they've invested in the draft over the last three years, and it's not as if these guys are on the final years of their contract where all of a sudden you have to worry about who's going to replace them the Mm -hmm. following season.
1: Yes, I totally concur with that, Lance, and as long as you're mentioning the word draft, I mean, we always forget, at least I think we do, uh, Rodarius Williams, who was taken in the sixth round out of Oklahoma State this year. I mean, we look at the depth in this secondary, and we keep saying to ourselves, this guy, this guy, that guy, that guy. And how many times do we even bring up Rodarius Williams in the conversation? And I and I guarantee you the coaches are going to look at him carefully, too, and see if he deserves to stay.
3: Yeah, late-round pick from this year, so that really adds five To the list of guys, if you're keeping track of, who have been drafted over the last three years. Never a bad thing. And even if they contribute on special teams year one, and they just get their feet wet a little bit on the defensive side of the ball, then hey, maybe that establishes the foundation for them to make a jump in year two. Never a bad thing from that standpoint. Totally agree. Always a positive in terms of the makeup of the roster when you have multiple guys that you trust and that you could turn to, and to your point, that push one another in practice on a daily basis. So that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're going to continue to preview opponents the rest of the week, so stay tuned for that. We're also going to start to turn our attention to the division rivals, the Dallas Cowboys, Washington football team, and the Philadelphia Eagles as we're getting to the end of the road, of course, with the opponents that they only play once a year. So stay tuned for that for the remainder of the week. A reminder... Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Paul, always good going back and forth. Look forward to do it again later this week. Good stuff, Lance. You got it. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Stay locked to Giants.com, and we will speak to you tomorrow here on BBKL. Have a good one.